Schadenfreude, arse play, and getting to know each other. That's it. Welcome to Pringle and Tarium Take On Reality, the podcast of the future. Please go and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you're getting this, and give us a follow on all of our socials at Powerpod on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok. There will be some fire content get up there at some point, so get in early. Um, today, Tarium's missing because uh, he's got some shit to deal with. But we have got a replacement, um, a friend of mine, Craig Potter, who is a comedian actor fucking performer uh, what what the fuck are you Craig <laughs> all round full basically like full time full <laughs> like a jester yeah yeah exactly court jester put a, put a penny in me and I'll keep talking that's all good <laughs> so when I met Craig it was at a 2000 Trees Festival now coming up for a year and a half ago which is fucking depressing um, yeah where we we were doing so we were camping with a big group of people and Craig just stood out to me because he was wearing the loudest shirt I've ever seen on a man <laughs> and performing like improv parodies of the music of the Menzingers, uh, which really <laughs> I was quite impressed with. Um, I don't know if you want to do that now, but it was, you were you were hyped up, man, and pulling out some fucking hilarious lyrics. So I was like, and that guy would be good on a, on a podcast one day. Quite similar to Tarium, but he is from London, so slightly different. Yeah. Um, Craig? I suppose I, I could drop a bit of placebo for you. I was alone. <laughs> I was on this podcast trying my best to think of words. <laughs> Baby, I hope this is ruining the audio. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's all right. We could tweak it. I liked it, man. I liked it. <laughs> I like how placebo have like managed to make a very successful career out of sounding like uh, the guy in your school who used to get beaten up who had a really nasally voice. <laughs> it's yeah, like nasally man. voices can be sexy if you throw a bit of lipstick on. And you know what, Malco? Well done. You've done it right. <laughs> Have you ever seen Placebo Live? I have, yeah, quite a few times, you know. Like, and you know, like, mate, it's incredible. Like, Placebo are one of those bands that, like, consistently haven't had an album out for years, but still get massive slots and, like, absolutely slay every time. Like, you know, he he did, like, he's, like, the same as Incubus. For some reason, they're, like, a weird selection of, like, mid-noughties bands that really don't bang out a lot of uh, content, but both of them have managed to do um, Calvin Klein underwear model, modelling <laughs> adverts. And Incubus. That, I didn't think Incubus were like a sexy band. I don't really know what they look like, though. They, yeah. just sound like, they don't sound like a bunch of fucking H&M models, do they? <laughs> no, they don't. They don't. And yeah, right, like if you Google, like the guy from Incubus has got like the sexiest six. I'm just going to look at that now because it's going to help It's gonna help me focus on the podcast. <laughs> Just quickly googling sexy ad ink, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, he did. Yeah, they're Calvin Klein models, like both of them, which is just the weird. I think he had like big dreadlocks and like just this slotted dong <laughs> from like funk <laughs> metal into a Calvin Klein's advert. So, yeah, was weird. this in the nineties or like later? Uh, I think this is like I think do you know what I think this is like late two thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, but I th- which is like Calvin, Incubus or oh, Calvin Klein advert? Calvin Klein advert. I don't know. I think it's like yeah, late two thousands. Everybody seemed to have been like uh, 
a little bit sexier. Just it was just. Do you remember Fred Durst used to date Britney Spears? Like that's a fucking. Wait, that, this is you showing your age. I was like about six or seven when that was the case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. But uh, yeah, no, he, uh, he sang about it on a song, so it must have been happening, man. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's that's his. But by the way, if if you did, if you wanted to find it, Google Brendan Boyd. That's that's who uh, did the Calvin Klein ad. But he's a pretty he's a pretty sexy man, actually. So fair, fair Brendan, play to Brendan Boyd. Brendan Boyd. Brendan Boyd's thick dong. <laughs> thick, extra juicy dong. It's Brendan, on there somewhere. If you, if you Google it's, those, it's changed. It says including results for Brendan Boyd's Calvin Klein. I don't know if I want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay well you know like I've derailed as far as honest man it's, it's just a lot of fucking attractive men like I can't really I don't <laughs> yeah, see yeah. any <laughs> I'll drop it, on, on. drop it onto the Twitter later okay oh. yes <laughs> what have you been up to in your pandemic man what's been your how are you getting through the days uh, fucking t- a lot of walking a lot of wanking like the usual sort of <laughs> thing that everybody's doing at the moment which is like the same things over and over again but you get progressively worse at all of the things that you're doing. Like you're going further and further and further out into the fields and you're going deeper and deeper and deeper onto the internet, looking at stuff that you're going to have to sort, you know, you're going to have to burn a hard drive for. So it, but other than that, it's, it's been, yeah, it's been the same really. Like the first one I, I did like some courses and stuff. Like I tried to write a lot more this one round. I've lost a lot of the fucking will to do oh, it. Mate, you know same I mean? man. The first one I was like, writing comedy constantly because I was like we're going to be back gigging in like June, July maybe yeah. towards the end of the year and then I think I did one gig like one outdoor gig last year and that was it yeah. it was fuck all in Scotland man um, but so this and you know, this lockdown's come along and it's just like when the fuck is this ever going to end it's so much harder to mm. to get yourself to fucking do stuff you know what I mean yeah I did um, yeah, like just to sort of keep my, my mind going because like like you're saying like you you a lot of stand up and like obviously so to the the topic we're doing today is is jokes and stand up and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of stand up is based around performance. Um, you come up with an idea, you come up with a rhythm, you can write a joke, but something that's good in your head or makes you laugh um, is completely different to something that makes an audience laugh. And you know, and we as comedians end up writing jokes for other comedians, which mm-hmm. is like the de- most dangerous thing you can do, rather than writing for for comedy for for the crowds and stuff, because you think, well, this joke's really easy. And, but an easy joke will get recognition, which we'll get into later against like a joke that's really esoteric and clever, but it will make just comedians laugh. Yeah. Like, yeah. And just like, like open maker comedians aren't actually good as well. <laughs> so, I mean, yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And like, yeah, it's, it's, it's the thing where like you sort of egg each other on to the point where you're, you're, ch- you're, you're, you're playing to a very, like the people that will see you often, you're playing to those mm. sort of people. And that sort of thing has happened with this, like with me writing in this lockdown and stuff. So like just to sort of, because we're not out performing and because we're not, I don't know when we're going to be doing that again. I sort of stopped writing that. So I, I, I've been writing a few times previously and I thought it would be a good time to start going through that. Um, like just something to stretch my mind. Like, so I went with writing stuff for other like other worlds that are established and stuff and being like what would be like to write a joke for somebody who you know their rhythm and stuff so I've been writing Wallace and Gromit jokes I've got a mini script for something called Quantum of Wallace Aye. <laughs> <laughs> which is like but it's it's about like you know sort of like challenging myself to to make uh something in a world where it's like it's, it's basically like um 
you know, like it's writing short, simple jokes and stuff like that as well. Whereas, like, well, uh, there's and their where, characters, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, really, yeah. It's, he gets, uh, gets, he's basically, he's inadvertently being, he's Q. You know, he makes like the gadgets. So in this thing, he's like, he's Q. He's making gadgets for like this Bond guy, uh, but inadvertently because he's an idiot. He's just been commissioned to make them. He doesn't know what they're being used for. He makes him the target of it. So like an easy joke you can write for Wallace and Gromit is he comes in with cheese. He gets shot at and doesn't realize it. The dog saves him, Gromit. The bullets go through the cheese. He gets up, doesn't know why the dog's just knocked him over. And he picks up the cheese and goes, oh, I didn't know I had Swiss. Easy joke, Wallace and Gromit. There you go. So like, yeah, strip it all back, get rid of the bullshit. But yeah, that's that's what I've been doing. <laughs> uh, I started doing yoga every day this week, man, and it's uh, it's made like a fucking actual. Without sounding like uh, I'm trying to like campaign for yoga, it's made a fucking massive impact on my my head. Like, you have always you have always looked like a, a yoga instructor, and now it's finally your time. Exactly, to, man, uh, I'm growing into my face um, <laughs> and stretching into my, my my true goal, which is to be a yoga instructor. Um, no, I don't think I could. I don't think I could deal with enough of the people that do yoga to be a yoga instructor. I think I could just slip in and out myself, you know. Um, although yeah. Sadie, Sadie could be a yoga instructor. You you, you like people? That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's easy to be a yoga instructor is just say something like vaguely spiritual about any of the moves that you do. Spiritual. <laughs> yeah, sorry. But yeah, just, just say something about chakras every time you, you go into a pose and you'll be fine. You can I mean, I met a guy in uh, the takeaway I used to work in. He came in and this was like probably April last year. So like, like pretty much full lockdown. And then this guy comes in to tell me um, that he has like a, dele- a direct line to karma and like telling me about all his chakras in his body and saying he's been traveling around the UK for weeks. And I was like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> man. He's like, the virus can't the virus can't take me, man. I've got a direct line to karma. <laughs> and I was like, you are absolutely half your nut, man. He looked like one of those um, sort of guys that went to a rave in the 90s and stayed out until now. You know what I mean? <laughs> I also like that he did the spiritual version of I'm built different. <laughs> like, uh, fucking hell <laughs> yeah no bro like I know it's getting so many other people but my chakras I'm just different <laughs> I also I made a stronger Trump stuff also, yeah I made a stronger stuff Donald Trump also did I'm built different like he literally said I'm built different as policy which is mad yeah <laughs> Oh, I mean, to be oh. fair, he is built differently. Have you ever seen his fucking face? Like, <laughs> <laughs> he looks like that. Um, he he kind of looks like a, a silhouette that a kid would draw of, of a grandmother. <laughs> like, <laughs> mate, to be honest, half of the days of the week, I look like a silhouette of like a crazy cat lady. It's like my hair. <laughs> I've got a dressing yeah. going on. It's not good. <laughs> I'm getting progressively beardier as this one goes on. I'm still like. I, I I don't even want to see what I look like from the outside at the moment. Sometimes I'll catch my like the shape of my head in a shadow as I'm as I'm out for a walk because the beard's well, getting your beard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the walk. Yeah, so that's walking along. And also, I'm like turning. I'm like thirty now, so my hands are like instinctively going behind my back as I walk as well. <laughs> Like it, man. <laughs> You're just telling people how interesting the clouds are. Yeah, exactly. I'm getting late stage, like uh, late 
stage Mr. Burns walk. And it's oh. like, <laughs> I like the beard on you, man. It's good. Yeah, it's, it's getting yeah. there. It's getting. Got to grow a beard in lockdown, man. If you're not going to grow it now, when else? Yeah. Because like the first one, I, I just left it for months and it actually got a lot thicker. Because I used to be a wee bit, a bit of a baby face. If you know. I don't know if people <laughs> listening at home have seen him, but he's incredibly sexy, man. He's very. He looks. He looks like. He looks like if Biffy Clyro and Judas Priest had a baby. And it's fantastic. Yeah, very gay, baby. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, good Jesus priest, power to power to them as well. So yeah, yeah. very gay, baby indeed. <laughs> I reckon a baby of Biffy Clyro and Judas Priest would be intense. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but and very chart successful for like one half of their career. <laughs> be successful in the eighties and then the late two thousands. <laughs> Oh man! I reckon I'd be successful in the eighties, man. I've got that look about me. You do. You you look like, or if uh, you could have had like a really good sixties covered band in the eighties, like <laughs> we're the Frank Zappers. Yeah, Frank Zappa, man. Like, I mean, talking about comedy, talking about taking big swings, but Frank Zappa took a shit on on stage before, like well before Gigi Allen did, and I well think. If we're talking, yeah, if we're talking, that's why Dillinger did it. He's like fucking Frank Zappa, GGL, and Greg Pusciato. <laughs> yeah, there's just gonna be the guys who took the shit on the floor, and people will remember me for that. I'm gonna be the guy that did it for hardcore. You know, I'm, I'm bringing shit back across the main stage, across the main stage at Reading Festival, and you're gonna love it. <laughs> this, this is hardcore, man. This is real art. <laughs> Oh, so like speaking, like so speaking of Gigi Allen as well, and speak, uh, you know, and speaking of comedy and stuff. So bringing it to somehow back to what the topic was today, which was jokes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw this out to you. What do you think the highest grossing uh, comedy film of all time is? What would you think it would be? Ooh, uh, is it one of Eddie Murphy's ones? Uh, we're not going for stand up. We're just going to go. Uh, no, first I mean off. like a uh, film he's in. No. It's because it's it, not. It good. I'm. I'm. I'm uh, what do you call them? Animated films. It's not an animated film either. No. What's your favorite? What would be your favorite, favorite comedy? comedy? Top of my head, probably like Life of Brian or like uh, Superbad. Those are both fucking yeah. incredible. Both incredible. Jonah Hill's actually got the like. So, but, uh, I'm spoiling a fact, but Jonah Hill's got the highest swear count of any person <laughs> on live recorded film, which means he's and, beat and Samuel Superbad, Jackson. Eh? That's mad because there's films like Snatch, you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, I think he got it like just in the um, Wolf of Wall Street. There oh, wasn't yeah, yeah, yeah. a bit of dialogue he had that didn't have a a, a swear in it. There wasn't <laughs> an dialogue. So Jonah, Jonah Hill is swearier than Samuel Jackson, but you know, but that just goes to show that uh, quantity isn't always quality because a motherfucker versus uh, from Samuel Jackson versus a from Jonah Hill, not the same thing. Well, it takes longer to say motherfucker than just... It does, yeah. But uh, have, you ever, have you ever heard that compilation of just Samuel Jackson saying motherfucker? No, but I, like I said, I'm getting into weird stuff that I'm wanking to and that's definitely going to be on there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to... I'll put can on we, like a few minutes just, of this, Can we actually put it like tagging now as like technically featuring on the episode? <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> That's art. That's real art. Motherfucker, 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 
each one is as good as the last. I mean, yeah. yeah this is, this is, this is something. 52 oh. seconds, Lou. Yeah. Sort of rap, too, but... <laughs> All kinds of motherfuckers. Rhythm as well. <laughs> yeah, it's Mother- called Every Samuel yeah. Jackson Motherfucker Compilation for people who want to check it out. Fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah, highest grossing comedy film of all time is um, The Hangover Part 2. <laughs> um, actually, that doesn't surprise me. It's always the sequel that, that kills it in the box office, isn't it? Because the first yeah. Hangover film's class. Second yeah, one, it is. it's okay. It's basically the Reservoir Dogs, but for for um, for a party f- film. In that, the Reservoir Dogs is a film about a heist that you never get to see. The Hangover is a party movie where you never get to see the party, and it's that, and it's, it was quite a clever thing. Yeah, and it was um, <clears throat> Todd Phillips who did this. And he did the Hangover Part Two, and the reason I think this is so interesting, like not just that it's the highest grosser and stuff, but Todd Phillips is very famous for making um, mid noughties boner comedies and stuff. So he did Project X, he did like Old School, mm-hmm. uh, he did films like this, and then he did Hangover, and he's been given sort of kind of like the keys to the kingdom here because he actually is a really smart business person. They didn't have a lot of faith in the project and stuff. And he managed to hire like Zach Galifianakis, who great stand-up comedian, if you've ever seen Live at the Purple Onion, um, but had kind of been on the peripheries of being and stuff and never really got a start. Did he do it between this- two firms like pretty early and then he made it into a film kind of thing? Yeah, so yeah. Um, he did. But like that was, so that this actually predated that as well because this was like 2008 in The Hangover. And he managed to get them to agree to taking, uh, he took a lower salary in exchange for a share of the gross Hangover, and it's one of the highest grossing films of all wow. time. And it, he is one of the richest comedy, uh, he, no, he, he is the richest comedy director. He's one of three people in Warner Brothers. Christopher Nolan's the other one. Where what comedy is he whatever project, no, 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 he's one of three people, um, the three people at Warner Brothers who, who basically has a deal where whatever film he brings to them, they say, Yep, yeah, come on in, no. you can do it. And the reason I mention this is because. Top Phillips now is probably more famous for doing the Joker film, which mm. is a film that he made because he basically said, you can't make comedies anymore. You can't joke about anything. The woke patrol coming in here, <laughs> taking away all the funny. So I'm going to make a movie. It's all superhero movies, but mine's going to be dark and twisted uh, because Wait, I just can't film. make <laughs> So he made the Joker film as they're like, it's because he thinks you can't joke about anything anymore. Mm. And um, this is a man who, the highest grossing comedy film of all time, one of the main jokes in it being that a guy accidentally has sex uh, with a female and she says, I sperm in you, you sperm on the floor. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, that came out like he's 10 years ago. The work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, I, I do agree with you there, but that came out like 10 years ago, probably. Oh, yeah, no. Totally. you know. And it's still it's still floating on the top as well. So yeah. it just, but like it's just interesting to me that this person who is incredibly wealthy, who has been given keys to the kingdom whenever he wants, can make whatever he wants, is still sort of holding up the you can't joke yeah. about anything anymore. You can't make people laugh. So this is why I think either. I mean, like I watched uh, what was that Pete Davidson movie called with Bill Burr in it, um, King of Staten Island. There's like there's yes. I mean like that 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 didn't seem like it was held back compared to. A film seven seven years ago, like a comedy, like a big because it was like a major comedy film. Do you know what I mean? There's not that many of them come out these days, but it didn't seem no. held back. No, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think we'll probably see less and less of them if cinemas don't come back as well, because yeah. it's hard to laugh by yourself. It's, it's, it's difficult. Aye. I think podcasts are the thing which you have in your headphones 
you'll slowly cackle on the train and make everybody think you're a psychopath. But it, it, it but it, it's like so uh, that the Joker on your train. <laughs> yeah, you got there. <laughs> Everyone listening to this, you're a fucking weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hello, Joker. Gotham's back in town. <laughs> but it's it just finds it really. I just like. I think it's really interesting because, like, obviously, what this is a good standing point because how jokes have changed over time, and he's a really good kind of vocal point into that conversation because one, he's very openly saying you can't joke about things anymore, um, so he's decided to not make any more of those comedies despite them being, you know, very successful. <laughs> yeah, um, like. But then, like, if we go back to like one of the first jokes and stuff, because you've done some research as well. What, when do you think, like, what the, do you think the first joke ever was that we know that was recorded? So the first one I found, um, I found the three oldest jokes. Um, so it's saying various kinds of jokes have been identified in ancient pre-classical texts. The oldest yeah. by joke is in a ancient Sumerian or Sumerian proverb from about 1900 BC containing toilet humour. <laughs> Something which has never occurred since time immemorial. A young woman did not fart in her husband's lap. That's the same one that I found as well. And I love that as well. Because that is... change to see what people are doing now. (laughs) What I like about that so much is that, like, do you remember how all comedians in the 80s used to just joke about, take my wife? Like, what was happening in their lives? Were they not more the mainstream in the 80s? And then they always, like, fucking Ben Elton and Alexis Sales and all that, who, like... Change that into this mad stream of consciousness political thing, and then yeah. I don't know, have you ever been to like a mainstream comedy gig when you have like the sort of after dinner speaker type guys that do the old jokes? No, I've never been to that. No, me neither. But um, they have quite a lot of them, I guess. Sort of reading, yeah. you know, like footballers, sports dinners, and stuff like that. Um, but I, it would be be interesting to see what that was like. I don't know. Yeah, Sorry. it's, it's weird. Know. It's weird that like uh, no comedian had a had a happy marriage before like the late 2000s yeah <laughs> and it's, like uh, there was a big enough market in the fact that nobody was fucking happy and there's no outlet for it <laughs> apart from the stage uh like but yeah those old sort of like yeah those old jokes but like it, it doesn't seem to have changed too much really like and it's it has jumped up in those last few years that like we went from basically yeah my wife being the my wife Borat <laughs> style, <laughs> that, like, that, that's the punchline, and that's kind of like now started to like drizzle out. But it seems like from night, like from the first joke to like the the last few recorded specials in the eighties of the big comedians, it's all the same sort of humor. Yeah, that's true, man. Although I bet there's um, I bet there's plenty of like like lady comics making uh, the same jokes about men now. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Um, the, the ladies, the, I think the lady comment jokes about uh, like, yeah, my husband, the flip side of it and stuff, those were, yeah. but then there's also like the, there's the, like, the, like if we talk about like the top, stops, uh, tops, sorry. So I was saying like, there's only one lady comic on the top grossing, uh, comedians ever. Is it John Rivers? It, it's not. I mean, like, no. it, it's, think like with all well, of then. the top. No, right. Let's. Uh, who the top man is? Who do you think the top man is? Ever. Ever. Oh, that's hard, man. Maybe it's Kevin Hart. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, he's done a fucking. Yeah, I was gonna say like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, filled out, filled out like arenas like nobody else. Like, like most yeah. of the like the top ones because comedy only really became a stadium thing in the last ten years. 
Yeah, so although, like, like the, I mean, there were arena comics. I, I think I don't know, man, because Eddie Murphy and that were doing arenas in the eighties. Um, Andrew Dice Clay was doing arenas in America, and then here you had like Lee Nelson. It was Lee, no Lee Evans. Sorry, Lee Nelson. <laughs> Lee Evans was doing arenas here. Yeah, um, so I reckon Lee Evans Peter Kane stuff like that. But it was it's definitely become bigger. Um, yeah, ten years I think surely. Yeah, Lee Evans is like one of the fastest selling and he was one of the first to sell I think he was the first to play Wembley or something as a comedian, really? which is like which That's is mad. huge. And like um and like he was one of the first comedians to do a world tour. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, a lot of people have a go for retiring, but if I sweat that much and did a world, the first world tour, I'd have to I'd have to bail out pretty quick as well. Yeah, I'm surprised he, he's not like as big as a skit because yeah, it was also huge. Like, <laughs> it was also huge for like twenty years. I mean, you probably just get sick of like not being able to walk down the street. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, I reckon now he would and, like, like, walk again, about. Somebody who's sort of like. like I, I reckon every cab driver probably stops him at least. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> but like, yeah. He, like, uh, the other one as well is like Jeff Dunham has like the best, yeah, the most the puppet. puppet man. That's bad. I kill you, I kill you. The man who made his he made his career from being a pre-recorded cell phone. Like you know, do you remember you could set your own message tone? Like mm. you could put a song. In, like if anybody does, if you do this at home, by the way, anybody listening, if you have a special song or a special message tone like crazy frog or like anything you're a psychopath <laughs> like we've grown beyond that i don't know what's wrong with you like if i heard like if i heard a song playing like i'll just turn around and be like Has somebody got bubbles by biffy Claro? like just be like oh <laughs> sorry my phone guy we're talking about it <laughs> like the tripper <laughs> <laughs> i mean the tripper <laughs> yeah Oh, like there's a special there is a special type that is the sort of person who probably still has it yeah and that's how Jeff Dunham got big in, like, in 2007 uh, to 2010 he's still one of like the highest grossing comedy tours oh, did he stuff. do Creative Frog or something no nah, he did Ahmed oh, the Ahmed, Dead yeah, Terrorist yeah. yes See, that Ahmed, was like, I remember thinking that was funny when I was like a, a child yeah but, same like, now I'm like it's just it's, I suppose it's probably a bit of its time though because like around about post 9-11 like 2003-04 those years like it was a hot topic fucking terrorism and everyone was talking about it whereas now it's like there's so many different fragmented groups and people are a bit more disagreeing on it and stuff it just seems less edgy do you know what I mean yeah I, you're also being far too generous to him because he was doing that in like 2007 oh really <laughs> uh, I assumed it was like, uh, no, yeah it was no, he, he waited until the terrorists had gone away <laughs> he waited until they were not coming after him what, uh, <laughs> what comics were you um, what comics got you into stand up when you were a kid my guys um, so I didn't start as a, a traditional comedian I was an impressionist oh yeah yeah so I've seen the video this. man it was uh, yeah. enjoyable man I liked it <laughs> thank you very much um, about 10 12 years ago or something yeah. and uh, I also used to do like I, like I can't this is the thing why I mentioned Duff, Jeff Dunham as well it's like and when I mentioned sort of like you play to the crowd because like it's kind of seen as being a very low form of comedy impressionism and stuff mm-hmm. and last few years as well like it's something that you see less and less on like touring circuits and stuff like you used to because I, I loved like John Coleshaw I loved Alistair McGowan uh, I loved Dead Ringers um, I loved like Big Impression and stuff like that those were the things that got me into comedy because I realised like and again some of the first jokes you'll find written and recorded 
were schadenfreude and taking the piss out of other people. Like <laughs> that's kind of like one of the one of the core things is toilet humor, schadenfreude. <laughs> those are and and my wife. Those are the things. So like those were like and then Bill Bailey, Richard Pryor, um, and like I was obsessed with a song that Jim Davison did about having sex with <laughs> Like. I don't like. I, I could probably say like. I remember it was. It was a song about. Was it? I can't remember. The man's awful now. Like, and again, it's like <laughs> the thing at the time is you don't have any object permits for these people. But like, yeah, impressions and stuff is how I got into comedy. And so it was definitely like things and two uh, D TV and shit like that. Like doing t- Tony Blair and George W. Bush because showing my age. That, yeah, like yeah. When I was thirteen and stuff. Like that was like a a big thing you could do. So I got into like. Uh, love music, hate racism. Oh yeah, I do quite a lot of. Um, there was like a some punks that I was friends with back in back in the day. Used to do a lot of love music, hate racism fundraisers, and I used to MC, and I would take the piss out of uh, politicians mm-hmm. and various people in between oh. as I brought them and stuff. So that, that sounds was like a rowdy crowd to be starting out in, like. But it was a- punks. I mean, I suppose when it's love music, hate racism was probably quite positive energy, but you've still got a bunch of drunk fucking punks. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it, do you know what? Expecting to start fuck, kicking fuck at each other, and you're like, hey, what's the deal with. <laughs> you're not that old, I'm kidding. Exactly. And I was, I was like, I was like 16. I, when I was like 16, I emceed a big love music, hate racism event uh, at like um, Victoria. I might have been 18. That's crazy, man. Victoria Park. Yeah. I would have terrified me. Like I, well, I, it took me so long to even try stand up that like getting on stage at sixteen or in front of like more than like four people would have just honestly man I couldn't have done it I was just so shy. <laughs> well, so it was in Victoria Park. It's the complete opposite. Like, aye, it was Victoria Park. And I introduced Roll Deep and I introduced Hard Fi <laughs> like <laughs> on the main stage, like uh, in front of like. This is when they were relevant as well, probably. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 If I did it now, like they wouldn't raise as much money. Yeah. And this, this, uh, like, I distinctly remember, like Morrissey was there because at this, this was against the BNP, uh, who ironically now have some of their policies in through the Tories, including mm-hmm. like paying people to go home. Um, but like there used to be, yeah. So Morrissey was linked to the B- BNP at the time. And uh, he wanted to prove he wasn't racist. So th- this is back in like, so now Morrissey doesn't care. But back then he put a load of money into Love Music Hate Racism Festival to try and show he wasn't racist because he was worried that it would have a, an effect on his career. Yeah. Like now he just stops. He just doesn't give a fuck if people think he's a bigot anymore. No, no, no now, now he will probably, uh, now he will like come out wearing like his, uh, his like BNP t-shirts and stuff. Like he's just like, oh, so freeing. I can, I can finally say what I wanted to mean all this time. But that's how I, I got to be into myself stand-up. now. Eh? <laughs> yeah. It was a lot easier though as well. Cause like doing voices and stuff is like, um, like you could, I could write sketches really well. And like those sort of landed kind of well. Cause there's like the initial laugh is recognition. Mm-hmm. Whereas the person you're doing the voice of, so it'd be like um, stupid fat horrences, and they would laugh and stuff, and then you could kind of do anything in that. Um, and then, like, when I started doing it on comedy uh, tours rather than like uh, in front of punks and drunks, mm-hmm. um, like, like that's when it, the people were like, oh no, you, that's that's just really easy, and like you need to, you need to like yeah, it's probably people that weren't getting the laughs you were getting telling you that. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> worked on me and like I, I stopped doing them. I started like writing trying to write jokes and stuff and like yeah. again, like the jokes I was writing back then, which I, I think I've said to you before, not great. <laughs> like dark shit. Because that's what everyone tends to do first. Yeah. I, 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 wrote, I wrote quite a lot of dark stuff. <laughs> It I think it's like a defense mechanism because you can like pan it, pay, you can play it off as like deadpan and stuff. Um, but whereas if you're telling like a sort of like more uh, down the line joke that's less edgy, then you like you're really relying on it being funny. Whereas people, yeah, some people when they're starting, they might want people to just get a reaction at least, even if it's yeah, not. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I remember. Um, there's a joke I told and like I remember when I stopped doing that as well because like I, this I, I took a huge break after this and stuff as well like between comedy shows and stuff because I used to I was touring quite a bit um and like being a like a comedian on I say touring like uh, like I was on the circuit and being on the circuit is a lot like being a, a suicide girl hopeful in that like you're still having to get it all out but you're not on the main stage yet. So like, you're, you're kind of like, you're, you're getting there, but you're not quite, you know, uh, on the main thing. But, um, huh. and I, I did, I did a joke and a woman came like, so one, the, the MC of the night was like, you should have told me you're going to do stuff like that because I wouldn't have put you on so early because you know, I was like, Oh, didn't know. Like, I just thought it was an open mic thing. It'll be fine. Um, and then, I mean, she should have told you if you're going to do yeah. some dark and tell us, cause you know, otherwise you're just going to do what you like aren't you yeah exactly I think it's this is in London because like you I mean obviously you have so many more gigs but there's like so many gigs that are 99% act in attendance and yeah so many acts like just everywhere I feel like it's just it'd be quite easy to get sort of lost in the crowd you know it gets lot you get lost in the crowd I also found it like those there are comedians on the circuit where that is their group of friends this is their this is the only thing they do Aye. this is so, their social, like social life eh? This is how they go out and have a pint, and that makes it easier for them to turn up and not care that people haven't turned up. Aye. It's really hard when you're like out there and you're just playing to comedians because, like I said, your jokes start to go towards that. So you're yeah. not writing jokes for crowds I'm anymore. That are gonna... shit that only like the sex people there get. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, and that's kind of. Um, but I, I did a really bad. Uh, there was a really bad joke that I used to do uh, that I will. I will repeat it. Um, and there's late, like, when you start out, like I said, you just, you do the dark shit because you're expecting, you want a reaction. Yeah, and, and a, lot you know, of the, a, reaction. a lot of the stuff you might watch is probably dark shit and you don't realise they've been honing their craft for years and the audience know who they are and all that as well. Um, yeah. Like, like Jeffries or Stanhope or something like that. <laughs> and like Family Guy. Yeah. yeah. Family Guy and all of that sort of thing, like, mm, you know, yeah, yeah, oh, it's fine to do a very horrible joke about dead babies when you sound like this. And it's like... <laughs> And it's it's and those sort of things, yeah. The dead baby humor, the explosism and stuff like that is easy peasy to do that sort of thing yeah. when you're there. But when it's just you on stage, like I had, I could get away with it because I was really young doing it up until I was like 25. Yeah, you're like a little teen idol sensation, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you look like, like Woody it, from Toy Story. And exactly, it was it's it's people think it's funny that an eight, like a, an 18 year old, 19 year old is saying this like really dark shit. That's what Daniel Foss said. Funny, a man saying it, like some, yeah. some dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already washed up. That's the, that's the joke of it. But no, like I, t- I told a joke, and uh, a la- I think a lady took me outside. She goes, "I thought you were funny. I wouldn't do them jokes about the cancer." And then she started telling me about ca- 
<laughs> battle with cancer. What's and I, I upsets you? Like, you're all right telling the jokes about the paedophilia because she's not been molested, but if any jokes about cancer need to Yeah, stop. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the thing, like, the whole, the whole like, punching up and... Uh, you don't imagine Where yeah, do you stand imagine on that By the way Because I, I think you, Some things that are Punching down Are very funny But I mean <laughs> No It's um, like I, 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 I'm I'm Very much in that thing I very much Got indoctrinated Into the I should try And make a conscious effort To punch up And to Not You know uh, Pick on marginalised groups And stuff like that And I think a really you're good person me, Craig, That's the thing <laughs> Yeah <laughs> Well it depends No because you're not Making jokes about like Like Let's no. just, just, Let's use Ricky Gervais as a good example of this because Ricky Gervais is a comedian that I really liked and have seen fairly recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to really, really like Ricky Gervais and stuff. And like, he, the weird thing is, he is this liberal dude that has this like very liberal idea who he's very much that you can joke about anything and stuff. But like, I've re seen him recently and he, he, Really is honing in on the anti-trans stuff. I'd like if he would yeah. just talk about anything in his sitcoms that come out these days because they're fucking mints. Like, yeah, they are really good. that and like yeah. even extras was class. But this this afterlife, it's just absolute dog shit, honestly. Well, well, mate. So anyway, like, you're talking about the trans stuff. Eh? <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, but wait, like his joke. His, his I just saw him do a work in progress. Um, in the little bit of time that we were allowed out. Because I, mm-hmm. I brought it as a birthday present to a friend of mine who is like his biggest fan. Mm-hmm. All he jokes, but his version of joking is just saying the office quotes <laughs> to each other forever. And like, so I brought it for him. We went and like he kind of does the stuff like the anti-trans stuff. And he was like, you can joke about anything because he's obviously had a lot of kickback from that. But he's angry about it. It's like he's pissed off that he yeah. has had kickback. He's like, I can joke about anything. And he's like, you can. Yeah, people can have got the right to, to comment on it as much as you've got the yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. This is what I mean. Like, you can joke about anything, but like, also you have... likes the attention, like, because any sort of publicity like that does actually boost your profile as a comic. Like, if you look at like, the stuff Andrew Schultz does and all that, anytime yeah. there's anything with, like, that causes controversy on Twitter or something, it boosts their numbers and views and gets them more traction and money and stuff like that. So it's like, yeah, the idea that you... that the topics you can kind of can't joke about is, is more sensitive these days a bit of a myth but uh, yeah I know what you mean about about Gervais thinking uh, not expecting kickback despite the fact people have got every right to say what they want do you, do you know what I think you should joke about anything but you've got to make it fucking good it's like it's a pretty obvious observation you know what I mean it's like it's not even that it's not like it's never been done um, I mean like yeah, exactly like the idea that a person is born in like the wrong body has like Idea like there, there is probably a really deeply fierce uh, money Python did it better than anyone, yeah, exactly. It's like the 70s, so why even try? (laughs) Yeah, so like there's things you can explore with it, and his his thing is just like, oh, lady's got a willy, it's like, all right, so no, no nuance, yeah. Like, we're like, if you're gonna make if like if you're gonna put everything on the the weird, but this is the thing, so he jokes about how you can't be racist in this stand up special. And how it's, it's incredibly crazy to be racist and you can't joke about race. To going on about this next <laughs> thing is literally just smacking the fuck out of trans people. And I'm just like, oh. And he's like, he just doesn't know that he's doing this. And I was yeah. like, wow, there we go. I was like, but, it, but it, there, there isn't like, there, you have to sort of like imagine the people, like when you're making these jokes, the trick is you have to imagine that there are people that will hear it and there are people in like, and the bigger your audiences get, 
the more likely it is that somebody in the audience will be affected by that. And you have to take the risk and you have to take the understanding that if you're going to do that joke, that that's going to happen. And you have to understand that you're going to get kicked back for it and you have yeah. to stand by the joke. So if you are going to joke about anything, that's the core thing of it. Yeah, because the thing is, if a joke is... If I, I mean, I don't think people make jokes, especially comedians, with the intention of being harmful or horrible. Um, no. So it's just like, but you need to, I guess, ex- ex- accept that you're going to get some backlash from certain people when there's in this age where everyone can say, everyone can give your opinion online. I don't, I don't particularly think everyone on Twitter should be on there, but no, like, you know, I mean, like, not everyone's opinion should be read or heard. Um, no. That's why I've got my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, don't, but don't have a Twitter right? but it's it, it's yeah it's like it's the thing of like if you're going to keep putting it, it also as well if you're going to pick a group to keep going after and stuff like that like there, you have to understand that that's going to come across like you I've got a problem with them and like if you've got a problem with them and you want to keep joking about them and stuff then it it becomes harmful you're, you are making it harmful because you yeah. are targeting somebody and going on and on and on about it like if he could let it go like if he could now, if he like, but he didn't. So he did one stand-up special where he made Terrence jokes. He did another one about his reaction to that, and now he's on his <laughs> third one. And it's like, but he's like, but it doesn't bother me. <laughs> like, the like Ricky Gervais transsexual trilogy. Yeah, it will just It'll be, be him. And, it's just going to be him and J.K. Rowling patting each other on the back on their yachts, <laughs> like, the talking about how they're the victims. <laughs> Crying into a pile of money, like fucking. All right, like let it. But but it's not like you know it, it does change and stuff. Like going back to like the history of it. I mean, stand up actually started touring and stuff with like there are two. There's either the black and white minstrel stuff was kind of one of the first actual touring, mm-hmm. or, and Mark Twain used to do his like he used to read um, excerpts of his books and stuff that were comedic and sexual and stuff, and he was asked to go to different parts of the country and read those out. Um, and the black and white minstrels and obviously went around and toured doing these like things as well, where they were like, you know, dress up as, um, as, as basically like touring, you know, as black people mm-hmm. in blackface. And these are kind of, this is kind of like the root history of stand up. you know, this is, you know, where it started. It, it did start from a, you know, touring comedy started from a pretty dark place and, it doesn't mean it can't change and evolve and stuff. You know what I mean? Like you do start to see things like that, where it's like people started saying to them, like, you shouldn't be doing this. This is offensive. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the first. And they just went back. to Australia. Yeah, exactly. They, had to, they kept touring in Australia for like 10 years. Sorry. Else. <laughs> uh, you can still go over there and like, yeah, you can be on jam up until the eighties if you're a black and white minstrel. So, you know, what's jam? Oh, I jam. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Like the yeah, yeah, actual yeah. fucking substance. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I heard, um, who was the guy, there was a, an American stand-up who was like pr- sort of pre-stand-up as well, um, who he performed at this, like, it was like a fucking huge draw, and he performed at this Nazi rally um, in 1939, I think it was, in Madison Square, Madison Square Garden. I'm trying to find his name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I mean, there was also like Lauren Hardy and like Punch and Judy and stuff like that that you can go back to as well, that... Um... I mean, the weird thing is the Nazis had like such a weird sort of like link to a lot of pop culture. There was like, they used to write to artists and stuff because they were really big on trying to create their own culture. Like 
the idea of the supermensch and stuff like that. So they would reach out to stand-ups, they would reach out to celebrities, they would reach out to artists and stuff and say, we want you to make our, our heritage and stuff. And like lots of people use all different forms of mediums and art as a way of defining themselves and for like different cultures and stuff that's built into who they are because they can go back years and years and years. When you're making something new, you, you try and borrow it from other people. So that people on their side, because it gave them an identity, which they were trying to create. And like mm-hmm. comedy does that for you though. Like it, it, it does people tie it to their identity and like what makes you like, I have a dark sense of humor is literally t-shirts that people buy. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like comedy. <laughs> and they're always shit people. <laughs> yeah, those t-shirts usually smell. <laughs> they usually smell, they usually smell like tree pile. They usually smell like hobgoblin. <laughs> they yeah. usually have a Terry Pratchett book in their hand. Like in the back pocket of a pair of like very ugly jeans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They've usually, uh, they've usually only ever eaten food out of silver tins, as I said before. They've, they've <laughs> All day breakfast. This, but by the way, this episode is sponsored by Hunger Breaks All Day Breakfast, <laughs> which comes oh. now with real egg nuggets. Oh man, this is uh, this is the second time that like grim tinned food has been mentioned in this podcast. Maybe I'm maybe I'm a bit of a snob, but I don't want a fucking full English or a curry or anything other than beans <laughs> or fucking like. In fact, pretty much beans. I don't really know if there's much else. So maybe some soup. But even then, you want a, you can get like the nice fresh plastic carton of soup out the fridge or you can get like a tin of fucking shit that's been there for two years it's like I'll take the I'll take the fresh stuff thank you uh, I've been to uh, intermittent fasting so I only get one meal a day I, I, do, I, I do think it's carry on <laughs> I was on if a you're, random, if you're but... having a tin of soup it's your one meal a day oh no exactly man if you're having one yeah. I'll have like oh. one big meal I'm not gonna have fucking anything out of a tin are you alright baby are we? we've got a mutual friend of ours We've got a mutual friend of ours who's obsessed with baked beans, and we went to another country. And he asked our fr- he asked our friend Laura if he could put baked beans in a, in his, in her holdall. When we went to we went to Prague, and he was worried there wouldn't be baked beans there, so he got to oh, he got to use his carrying space. <laughs> He, he was like, we need to, and then like we forced him to eat the beans like on the last day because we didn't have any breakfast there, so we have no idea where he bought them. And he didn't finish the tin, and we were so angry at him, like not finishing the tin of beans. Eat the fucking beans, and they weren't Heinz, they weren't Brunson, they were, were own brands. Were they hot? They, uh, I think. Do you know what? I don't think we did warm them up for. <laughs> I would have less respect if I ate them cold. Yeah. I can't deal with cold beans, man. It's just grim. There's another, oh, there's another like, um, fact that I've got in like my head. There's a person I wanted to mention for like starts of comedy and stuff in like 1700s. And that, one of the reasons I said this to be the topic that I wanted to do, there was a guy called Joseph Grimaldi mm-hmm. um, who I used to work uh, literally um, in an office next to his grave, like the park where I'd eat my food was next to his grave, the Joseph Grimaldi Park in King's Cross. And he was kind of a clown to begin with in the Harlequin, which was like a sort of like a, a play, an opera and stuff, which focuses on um, a, a woman. And lo- the reason I think it's so good is that he was one of the first sort of like wealthy people to come out of comedy and stuff because he, like all other comedians, decided 
that he should be the center of attention of the play as because he was the clown like the clown is a is a supporting character that he made bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and he was just like no it's about me <laughs> uh, and and also it, he followed on with like the thing as well that his son did a tribute act to his dad and like they they had a massive falling out and basically he was a, his son was like a a child performer who tried to basically live in his dad's shadow and couldn't quite live up to him and died in abject poverty so the first not only was he the first comedian but he gave birth to the first washed up like star fucker child as well so it was like a was true that, uh, celebrity back in 1700s oh, 1700s wow <laughs> Do you know the guy? Yeah. Do you know that image of like Uncle Sam that you see quite often in like American art and propaganda and stuff? Do you know that was that guy was a clown? It's like based on a guy who was a clown. I didn't know that. That's fantastic. I can't like, I don't know. I listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> but um, yeah, he did a pat like so like uh, the word uh, to be a a clown or a Joey, which we think is like part of the reasons they say Joker as well, like the Joey and the Joker and stuff like that to be. Somebody who makes a little joke is because of Joseph Grimaldi. Um, oh, that's that's fucking mad. Imagine, imagine yeah. like the name of fucking workplace based humor named after you. How do you how would you define a joke, by the way? Because uh, I've seen I've got the Wikipedia definition. I don't know if it's if it's bang on. But um, so this says a joke is a display of humor in which words are used within a specific and uh, well defined narrative structure to make people laugh. Um, and it's usually it's not great. I might be taken seriously. It's, it's never meant to be taken seriously. It's a joke. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like I like that it's never meant to be taken seriously. I don't know if it, I don't know if I agree with that completely because, I mean, when you see the work, like if you go back to um, the like the pyramids and stuff, like people tapped in there. Like Emotep was here. Yeah. People drew cocks, cock and balls, and like boobies in on like in these like old structures and stuff and I think that's 100% a joke and that's not words yeah like, like you watched uh, Andrew Schultz's uh, Netflix thing come out recently um, it's like a monologue with loads of little images, images come up on the right um, so like loads of the jokes in the special here because there's like over a thousand jokes in this like hour long thing because they're all rapid fire but so many of them are just little images and I think they're still kind of jokes but I don't know maybe yeah um, I, I do a lot of like comedy. Fucking funny. Like, I don't know. Do you, do you reckon you can have humor that isn't really jokes? Um, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, yeah. like there is. I mean, there's loads of there's loads of art out there. Like you know, Banksy and stuff. It has like solid imagery that I would say is a bastardization or a reflection of something that is supposed to be. You know, he's take you take if you take an image and you invert it to to mean the opposite of what it's supposed to mean. That in itself is a joke. There's like yeah. poems that are it's jokes. You know what I mean? We, you should do a podcast about mimes and just interview a mime. It would just be it would just be you talking I mean. for like half an hour and then a guy just not not responding. <laughs> but my <laughs> sorry, we were talking about so, but yeah, but like mimes, that's <laughs> but we should come back to the Gribaldi thing, by the way. I feel like I interrupted that. We can always cut it off. No, 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 I was gonna I mean like I I I just like that it had a three-act structure. It started as like a guy who was a clown, made it all about himself, and then gave birth to a son <laughs> who his father's shadow, 
and then like never could live up to his dad and died in abject poverty, which I just think is great. Like that's that's the life of a comedian hasn't changed since seventeen seventy eight. It's brilliant. Um, yeah, for celebrity like jesters, like maybe you had court jesters back in the day. Do you reckon in like a yeah, place, but- like a big massive place where I guess loads of people would be watching the whatever the entertainment was, then maybe the jester would be like a bit of a like a man about the town to get home and knew that kind of guy. Do you know what I mean? But would they? I don't know. Maybe they had a kid that was yeah. Also, like, well, a little fuck up. <laughs> Although I think the thing I is, think- the used to be <laughs> lower class, didn't they? Yeah, they used, I mean, like, Jester, Merry Fellow, One Who Jokes, um, is, like, the def, uh, uh, the definition of that. And But, like, a lot of the Jesters were just, um, basically, so I've done a lot of research into that as well, but it's it's the same with, like, the Ringling Brothers and um, The Greatest Showman, which, weirdly enough, wasn't just all songs and dance and six-packs from, uh, from, from uh, Wolverine. It was actually just a guy who used to... Uh, get dwarves and black women and tour them around and say, this is the oldest woman in the world because she was just an old old black lady. And like, that was kind of like the whole thing and people would pay to see. And turns out that jesters were just basically people with disabilities that he'd like drag out and say, like, isn't that funny? <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah, there were like, yeah, a lot yeah, of dwarves and stuff. In that like Disney film, didn't they? It was, because uh, it's a fucking good film. It's quite catchy and shit. But then you're like, does this guy really need to be lauded? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Three children singing his name. <laughs> yeah. This is the greatest show. As long as you don't Google what he done. <laughs> it's just some like fucking human rights abuses every single day. <laughs> I, I do like that they like he they they added the bit where he like cheated on his wife, but they didn't add the bit where he basically like exploited people <laughs> like every day and like locked them up and stuff like. But you know that was huge. Like again, this is how humor changes and stuff. That would be good for ratings and sales if uh, if the announced was like the fucking up, like a uh, what do you call it, like a pioneer to the slave owners, you know? <laughs> or like yeah. a, I wouldn't be pioneer. It'd be like after after slavery, but still pretty much enacting slavery, like a human trafficker. Basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. You heard it here, folks. Wolverine is a human trafficker. <laughs> um, <laughs> To be fair, like he he does a tour, doesn't he? Like old Hugh Jackman, he does a a tour where he, a one man show, which is just been, yeah. Apparently, he's a massive ham. He loves it. He he goes on tour, does like some jokes, does some songs. Like he's like he he's very much inspired by like the whole like vaudeville and minstrel stuff as well. So, is Hugh Jackman a stand up comic? <laughs> like because we're that's the question. <laughs> is he the sexiest one? Yeah, he's a yeah. To be fair, he is too ripped to be a comedian. Um, too sexy. Um, I right, so what, do you think it's fair? Uh, have you ever seen like a pure shredded, ripped, like white guy as a successful comedian? Because that's not something. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's very true. Like, it started, do you know what? That's a big thing that's actually starting to happen a bit more now. Like, ever since um, like Russell Howard got jacked, yeah, like. I actually, I, I actually opened for. Uh, I was on a comedy night in. Um, I think it was a Black Heart, or it was 
one it was somewhere in Camden anyway I can't really remember where it was but Russell Howard like turned up like to do some like um, minutes which is like there's two sort of things to that so one it's great because it's like oh awesome I'm going to play a show and it's going to be packed because like this guy's just turned up to do five minutes and it's also like oh great nobody's going to remember any of my jokes because this guy's about to come out and do uh, it's famous he just got jacked <laughs> Yeah, it must have been weird because everyone, like, I used to fucking love Russell just- Howard as a kid, man. Like, when I was, like, probably 14, 15, we'd watch his DVDs all the time and, like, um, watch Motley Week and all that shit all the time. Like, because he was just, he was yeah. one of the biggest, like, up-and-coming, like, TV comic when I was, like, a kid. Um, but, like, I, when he, all of a sudden... Yeah, no, it's crazy. Shred, like, shredded, it was, like, that's odd on a guy that used to be, like, the wee boy on Mock the Week, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Was he? I, 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 I loved it. Like, like, was he? Was he good? Like, did he smash it? Eh? Yeah, he did. Absolutely yeah. smash. It. I, I'd, I'd actually, um, I saw him once before as well, and like he used to do a joke where he'd say like, "Jesus was going to be rubbish at a party, um, but Buddha would be great because he'd be all roly poly." And I saw him afterwards, and I said, "I think Jesus would be really good at a party because he could just turn up with bottles of Evians and turn them into wine." <laughs> and he laughed and he goes, that's brilliant, I'm going to use that. Like, <laughs> I don't know if he ever did, but I hope he did. Because <laughs> <Like, laughs> it's a nice thing with like, you, you say, because I once said a joke to, Ricky, uh, to Jimmy Carr before. Um, you don't mind dishing that joke to anyone, do you? It's like, Jimmy Carr's got who's ready. So I had, so I told this joke to Jimmy Carr. He's like, fuck it, I'm going to give Jimmy Carr my joke. He's brilliant. I, mean, I think, I was going to say, Jimmy Carr's a writing team now, but he, he, it all on his own which is like but to be fair at a certain side like because you're like people have a go at comedians for using writing teams but like you've got to remember like one um it's good to get other voices in and two he's giving jobs to stand-up comedians like that's what people get when they talk about how much material is he going to come up with yeah people all these shows hosting all these shows he needs material for it yeah and he wanted to be good. Yeah, hundred percent. And like Frankie Boyle uses writers as well, and um, there's fucking loads of. I'm sure loads of people that are on TV at least. I, I would definitely use it for telly if I was if I was to be offered it. hundred percent, hundred but I would. Also, like it's not like a band where you can like uh, option to do a duet with somebody, or you can like give somebody a really good support slot and stuff. Like that's the most effective way you can give a leg up to other comedians and stuff is yeah. by like you know like. Give, using their voice as part of your set and stuff, but um, you yeah, can but come, like the pals jokes as well. Anyway, don't they? I send you stuff quite often. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's and I, I, I love that as well. Like, I think that's like really helpful to get another voice in and stuff because sometimes as well, like we said before, it's easy to go to, and it's so difficult for us at the minute. But it's easy for us to go to the easy place first and work your way backwards, and either end up with a joke that's too complicated, or to end up with a joke that. 100,000 people are just about to tweet because that's the thing at the moment is that we are trying to make comedy when there is a world out there churning out content constantly that everybody can see. There's everybody a guy on Twitter. They jokes on Twitter, don't they? Do you know what I think? Yeah, every, everybody's a t- Twitter comedian. Like, they'll have like, because they've got to get it out so quickly. You don't have like the fucking, the, the amount of time and effort it takes to create a great joke or, or create yeah. a great routine because like, so you've got to think about it quickly. So everyone has the same thought in the first 10 minutes of the event happening and tweets the same yeah. joke. It's fucking, the amount of people I've seen posting about the vaccine, like, oh, you, I've seen you taking coke off a toilet seat. Honestly, I've seen about 15 people tweet exactly the same joke. <laughs> the, the phenomenon for that was Michael Jackson dying. Oh, everybody, yeah. everybody, Everybody's phone vibrated at the <laughs> same time. The world unanimously said, let's make a joke about Michael Jackson dying. Like, 
Michael Jackson died. Uh, I was in a pub called the uh, called the Old Post Office. It's one of the worst pubs in Stevenage, Hertfordshire, and it was on a big screen. They interrupted a um, a sports like they were doing like the results of a sports game, and they interrupted it to say Michael Jackson died. And a guy sitting in the corner of the bar turned round and went, "Now we'll never find Madeline McCann." <laughs> That was when that was still relevant as well. That was probably funny. That was like, like two thousand and eleven. You died in what? Michael Jackson. Pardon? I think I think Michael Jackson died in two thousand eight. It might have been later. Maybe two thousand eight. I think I think you're right. Actually, you know, like I think it might have been. Fuck knows when it was. Yeah, yeah. I think it might have been like. Uh, I remember it was that after Madeline McCann went missing. Like now, when people make Madeline McCann jokes, I just think you're an open mic cunt. But this is the, uh, yeah. This is the thing that I was talking to you about as well. Like, it, it's hard to like, when we talk about stuff that you can't joke about. Or what's easy and stuff. But do you the, the the thing about like doing dark jokes is like everybody ends up with the same punchlines, which is mm. um, my wife can't take a punch. Madeline McCann, um, or just non spire priest, serial killer. That but I thought that the audience would have heard of dead babies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like it's 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 like everybody heard of the, heard of this and know that it's vague expense. It's essentially it, it's that Cards Against Humanity game kind of like ruined all of those like borderline rubbish arsehole yeah. comedians. Yeah, give everyone the give everyone the the, the the jigsaw pieces and the wherewithal to make those jokes without having the fucked up mind. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly right. Abusive <laughs> <laughs> upbringing. <laughs> you, yeah, you get to, you get to be an arsehole without having a Joker poster on your wall or a Rick and Morty t-shirt on. The Rick and Morty t-shirt guys are going to turn into the, the the trooper ale drinking metal guys who love Bill Bailey. <laughs> Mate, do you know I nearly got a Rick and Morty tattoo when I was about twenty-one uh, or even younger, maybe probably nineteen or twenty? I wanted like I remember because I loved Rick and Morty when it first came out. It was like really well written, like fucking hilarious animated stuff, and I was smoking loads of weed at the time, so. Of course, you're going to watch Rick and Morty. And uh, I seen this piece of fan art, which had like the, had like Rick in there, had like one of the wee characters in the back. It was like, it looked really cool. It was like, it's my day. Big, like, looked like a big piece of like the comic book art or something like that, but it was really fancy. But I'm glad I don't now have like a Rick and Morty tattooed on me just because it culturally, the shift, like, how people perceive a Rick and Morty fan now compared yeah. to how he did in 2013. It's I'm nice. glad I got a bad tattoo. <laughs> You can you can you can abuse female writers online all you want, but you smash up one McDonald's and you're a <laughs> yeah, you get damn harm to your career. <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. What about the McDonald's Szechuan sauce? Oh, Rick, I don't know. See, this is, you get a laugh for the recognition, uh, <laughs> but um. Yeah, no, they're like uh, I I have a Jake the dog tattoo on my leg, and like so I have a Jake Jake the dog from Adventure Time. From Adventure Time. See, I never yeah. watched Adventure Time. It just, I watched it. You smoke maybe, weed and you never like, watched Adventure Time. Yeah, I don't know. I watched like, I watch it now and I'd seen it a couple of times, but it just wasn't anything that my friends were into. So, like, oh, mate. Get into that. It, it seems like one of those ones where it's like randomness, is that because it was around that time that randomness was all about the what content was about. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like the post post mighty Bush era and stuff. Like, yeah. no, it's it's not actually. It's 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 weirdly emotive. <clears throat> it's weirdly emotive show. Uh, it is weird though. Like, it is very much a stonery thing. Uh, you you'll enjoy it, but it, it gets quite. 
dark in places as well, but like in in like a nice way. Like it kind of looks like a magical land where everybody's made of candy, but they kind of hint that it's uh, that everybody there is essentially a mutated person after a, after a global apocalypse and stuff. So it, it pretty much ticks all the boxes of a stoner. It's colourful. There's loads of sweets in it, and then it goes pretty deep into conspiracy theories. So it's like it's like the three acts of a stoner's mind in one in one show. So I recommend it. Yeah, man, I'll need to I'll need to fire that one at some point, man. Um, I, although I do lose enough hours just watching. You know what? I'll, I'll sit and watch stand up for hours, and I'll sit and watch like like a sitcom for hours and stuff like that, man. Um, I don't know if I need to add any more of those things. The what yeah. just keeps me up till five a.m. Sometimes you know what I mean, just sitting there. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's the last? What's the last like big stand up set you saw? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, like, like you say, you watch a lot of stand-up shows. What, 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 what was like oh, the right. one that you recommend or something? Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I watch it a lot on uh, like Netflix and on. I've got Hot Water on demand and Next Up Comedy on demand. Um, so they have loads of like friend shows and stuff. And the Hot Water one has like we've got like recorded club shows in it as well. Oh, that's pretty good. That's the last man. Like. You can get it. You can get it for like three fifty a month or seven quid a month. I think I don't know. Um, it's got loads of if you're if you're missing like club comedy, it's great for that man. I saw a really funny one the other day with uh, Adam Stone. Yeah, if you've seen him before, he's really funny. But I just and then I'll, I'll watch like Netflix specials like fucking Bill Boring. See any recently anytime like my me and my mate my flatmate have got like on it all night. Like we'll get to like five six in the morning, then we just end up watching a bunch of like fucking Patrice O'Neill and like Bill Barr and stuff like that. When we're just like you know or not, so it's uh, yeah. <laughs> Because we don't really go out anymore, obviously. Um, it's nice to have that sort of thing to Yeah, definitely. I mean comedy's very like comforting in that way. Like yeah. Bill Burr, isn't it mad that Bill Burr um is in Star Wars, which implies the existence of Space Boston? <laughs> Boston. <laughs> yeah, I'm from a galaxy far, far away. Far, far away. <laughs> Far, far away. I've, got, um, I've got a couple of this the other the second and third oldest jokes if you want to hear them yes please yeah so the second oldest joke found discovered in the west car Paprius and believed to be wait wait it's believed to be about Sneferu for us from uh, ancient Egypt circa 1600 BC uh, they didn't really turn over material very quickly back then so it went from 1900 to 1600 and that was the second joke <laughs> <laughs> um, the joke was How do you entertain a bored pharaoh You, you sail a boatload of young women More young women uh, Dressed only in fishing nets down the Nile And urge, urge the pharaoh to go and catch a fish Ew, Very clever Yeah. See there you go What about that, that, that uh, shagger humour back in the day um, Yeah exactly <laughs> the, third, the third most uh, recent one Or do you want to, I mean what, what do you think of that second one actually I already like the fact that and they're punching up. They're going after the pharaoh's poundery. I think that's fantastic. Like already, they were considering yeah, it. They were like the three hundred years between the first joke and the second <laughs> recorded joke. The thing is, I don't think they recorded a lot of jokes back in the day, or even probably till the last couple of hundred years, because they weren't like they used to used to write like literature. They used to write like history and uh, all these things. They didn't. I don't think fiction. Yeah. Uh, especially not like fucking comic fiction. I bet, I bet so there was loads of jokes back then that just would never have been written down and these have only been written down just by chance, you know. 
Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, yeah, yeah. Like up until very recently, like we had a lot of censorship in this country, like for, for years and years and years, like way more than we like give it credit for. Like, so a lot of comedy was removed and a lot of like recorded writings and stuff. So jokes were told again, like they're like, you know, we've told, we tell jokes for the same reason, which is just kind of like to find something in common with somebody and to kind of like alleviate ourselves. But like a lot of that, doesn't need to be written down. A lot of that wasn't written down because it was kind of like the things you were alleviating yourself from. You kind of didn't want people to know that you're writing down about, you know what I mean? Like saying the likes the shag. Important. You probably didn't want to have people hear your joke about the king and get your fucking head chopped off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you tell your friends <laughs> in the fucking field, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's exactly right. Like also people didn't know how to read and write for years as well. Like, yeah, years, 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 years. Yeah. like I, mean, I think like poorer people are definitely probably over history you would imagine they probably had better better jokes you know what I mean yeah better sense of stories and power and all that kind of thing because they can all do next day compared to like you know the, the ruling classes have obviously I'd imagine back in the day probably weren't that funny you know what I mean they're too busy like yeah, they weren't that funny because they wanted to, like like comedians now if ones that are worried about being perceived as intellectual are not funny and that's the same back then like you had to be you wanted to be seen as being smart back in the day and like to be a joker and to be seen as not serious and stuff was was wasn't positive it was a negative yeah yeah so like and it's like how Shakespeare and stuff has like lost yeah obviously the people that did do it like the were jesters and clowns and stuff like that back in the day they must have really wanted it they must have fucking needed it because they need to get their fucking patter out but but like it wasn't respected back then but now you watch yeah exactly fucking michael mcintyre like on tv performing to millions of people like, I, I could do that michael mcintyre yeah, like, you, you want to be the scumbag performer you like that's all i can fucking do yeah. <laughs> but again it's like like we, when we talk about the the highest grossing comedians and stuff like it's jeff dunham it's it's like it's yeah. it's gabriel inglis's fluffy comedian it's jerry Sun, it's michael mcintyre because we think about being clever but they're happy to just make jokes like oh if i had a piece of toast and the toast falls why is it always fall butter side down it, uh, my toast has fallen butter side down you're like all right man no, you're you right the piece of toast does fall butter side down the stuff that's like relatable to everyone it's not fucking easy i've, I've been trying to write more like Brilliant. No, it's not. I mean, it's, fucking, it's, it's harder than writing stories, man. Stories are pretty, pretty, they're a lot easier anyway than trying to write something that everyone's going to like think, oh, that happened to me. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. Again, like, the re- there is a reason these people are the highest grossing and stuff. And there's a reason, like, um, you know, people joke about like Amy Schumer and stuff. Like she's one of the highest, she's one of the only highest grossing comedians. Notoriously steals a lot of jokes. I must mention that as well. Yeah. She, she steals jokes from other women. So she probably shouldn't be on the pedestal <laughs> she's on, but these people strip away all the shit. And like, again, like we're writing, comedi- we're writing jokes to entertain other comedians and stuff, but like, it's the stuff that you should be writing to appeal to as many people as possible. Like Dave Chappelle and stuff like that manages to, to the sort of like strip away a lot of the bullshit. Mm-hmm. And stuff, and like his is very political and very intellectual and stuff. But then you get like Ali Wong will somehow manage to make like a three line joke about pregnancy that will appeal to as many people as possible because it's something that a lot of people go through and stuff. Yeah. And like that's why we tell jokes to alleviate and for recognition and like to to say yes, that's like me. 
That's the same reason you listen to music and stuff. So, you know, that's it is harder to do that. Every comedian wants like the recognition of the audience. They want the validation and all that shit. Everyone absolutely to a friend or to a random person at a bus stop. There's no need to do that, but you do it because it's like I've got one. Yeah. You want the recognition of them acknowledging that you, they think it's, it's like a it's all, yeah. it's all about fucking egos, really. I mean, people might say that they're doing it to make other people happy. Do it to make yourself happy because you fucking love when someone's absolutely, happy. absolutely, absolutely. Didn't get the approval from mum. You're <laughs> now going, going to give it to me instead. <laughs> And it, uh, and it, but it's, it's, but it's that thing as well. It's like uh, if we go all the way back to like beyond written jokes and stuff. Do you know? Are you aware of like the statue, the the uh, Venus of Willendorf? No. no. Um, so basically, like it was considered to be this. We think we thought for ages it was a goddess of fertility statue, and it, it's this this like comically large head that you can't really see the face. Massive titties, massive fat body. And it was this whole idea that like, and we thought it was about uh, fertility and stuff. We now like, and we wonder why it looks so strange, but we actually now realize that they didn't have access to like mirrors and stuff. So the people carving this just looked down and had a distorted version of themselves. Mm. And that's what jokes are. Uh, and that's what we do to each other. <laughs> it's us. It's us trying to understand ourselves in a distorted way. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, that's a good point. I like it. I'm, 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 <laughs> if you can cut everything else out, leave that. <laughs> That's jokes. That is so jokes. <laughs> that is so jokes. <laughs> oh, That's good. That's good. That's me. <laughs> the third oldest joke that I found, um, the tale of three ox drivers from Adab commun- com- completes the three oldest known jokes in the world. This is a comic triple dating back to the one th- uh, 1200 BC Adab. I don't know where Adab is. Um, or was but it concerns three men seeking justice from a king on the matter of ownership over a newborn calf for whose birth they all consider themselves to be partially responsible see what it says calf do you think that means like a child or a fucking calf um, I think it probably means a calf like a child would definitely be less valuable to you than the calf to be fair at that point. how can you all be partially responsible for the birth of a calf um, bunch of shaggers. Uh, the king seeks advice. <laughs> the king seeks. It takes advice. a village to raise a car. Is it really the case? And she suggests a series of events involving the men's households and wives. Unfortunately, the, the final the final portion of the story, which included the punchline, has not survived intact. Though legible fragments suggest it was body in nature. All these <laughs> they were dirty as fuck, man. It was fucking orgy. <laughs> oh. I, uh, again, it's like well, the first, like the first comedy film, um, like, like that was 1895, and it's called The Spring Close, and it was a little kid uh, stands on a sprinkler, um, a hose, while the gardener's using it, and it stops working, and he looks in it, and he lifts his foot up, and he gets sprayed in the face. Then the gardener goes and grabs the boy, and like basically smacks him on the bum a few times, and. It just goes to show, just like that joke that you've just told there, that the Schadenfreude and a bit of arse play is what has main is is the main humour from the first recorded film to the first recorded joke. It's it's all stayed the same. Schadenfreude, arse play, and getting to know each other. That's it. <laughs>